Welcome to the unemployment section of macroeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So here in this segment, we're going to be talking about different types of unemployment, how to calculate it, and how an unemployment measures can be kind of manipulated for political reasons. So let's first understand the different types of unemployment. There's part of the unemployment that could be seen as naturally occurring unemployment. And there is part of the unemployment that is due to cycles or cyclical unemployment. It's the second part, the cyclical unemployment, that we want to avoid. The natural part naturally occurs and we accept it as it is. So what is that naturally occurring unemployment? Different textbooks will treat this slightly differently. So I'll kind of talk about the Mancu textbook and also the Reagan textbook on macroeconomics to discuss this. But the first kind of unemployment would be seen as frictional unemployment. And that one's more evenly uh, explained in both textbooks. And the whole idea behind frictional unemployment is this job search level of unemployment. It's that time that you spend between losing your job or quitting your job and finding another one. So if you think about jobs or even if you think about the dating world, if ever you lose your spouse and, uh, because they, they left you, you're not necessarily going to get married with uh, the next person you meet. Okay, you're going to take time to, to see what's available on the market, see what the value you have in the market. And the same thing goes with jobs. If you lose your job as a, a VP of a large firm and you walk down the street and you see hiring at this manufacturing plant, you might not necessarily jump on uh, the bandwagon and just take that first job out there. So you're, you're going to try to find the best match possible. And there is a certain amount of time involved to finding that best match. You have to look at everything that's available in the market. And then if in the region that you're in, if you want to move. So you want to evaluate the options uh, to make the best choice possible. So that is frictional unemployment. Naturally, it's easier to take a longer amount of time to finding that perfect job if you have a certain amount of money as a buffer, but it's even easier if during this time period you have access to employment insurance benefits. So although employment insurance benefits are there to make sure that you can survive in between jobs, uh, they also enhance or increase the level of frictional unemployment. So it's a good thing, but it also leads to people taking their time a little bit more for finding the perfect job. Imagine if you had no safety net and practically no money set aside, you'd probably have to jump on that next job that you would find available in your area. So that is frictional unemployment. Good in the sense that it makes sure that we have the best match naturally occurring and it's not necessarily due to cycles. If I were to lose my job, I would take a bit of time to reorient myself and figure out where I want to go from here. It's not that we're going through a recession that's causing this. So that's the difference with cyclical unemployment. Structural unemployment, uh, 
depending on the textbook that you read, has different kind of a definition. So I'll kind of explain it very broadly. And you could apply everything I'm saying here to structural unemployment. And, and at the end of the day, any of those reasons will lead to an unemployment that is seen as naturally occurring. So it could be seen due to long run adjustment problems because maybe the industry that you're working in no longer exists in North America and that you have to get retrained in something else to be valuable in the market. So if you think many years ago, the textile industry was very large in Canada and when a lot of that industry went to Asia, it meant that a lot of those workers were no longer really valuable in Canada. And if you think uh, a lot of people are specialized in uh, drilling for oil in northern Alberta, well, if ever at one point we completely move away from oil because of green technologies and whatnot, well, all those people will have to kind of relocate and find another job. So there might be a certain level of unemployment going on in that transition phase. Once again, this is not necessarily due to recession. It's due to the industries changing. So that's structural unemployment, the way Reagan would describe it a little bit more. Whereas ManQ kind of talks about structural inefficiencies and those can be based on minimum wage laws, unions, and efficiency wages. In all three of those cases, we have a, an inefficiency because we could say that minimum wage laws, the way that minimum wages has an impact on society is when the actual wage for minimum wage is superior than the wage that would have been in the absence of this minimum wage. So we're saying that these people are getting paid more than what they would be if we didn't have this minimum wage. Same things with unions, uh, because it's harder to fire people and they can often negotiate better salaries. They're typically paying more than if they weren't union unionized. And efficiency wages is the same kind of idea that you have people that uh, these businesses that to hire the best people out there, they decide to pay a little bit more than the going rate that is usually paid in that industry to try to attract the best workers out there. So that's why it's called efficiency wages. So in each of those cases, we're paying a wage that is above the market clearing wage, which leads to a certain level of unemployment. If you were to look at the graph from the notes, you could see that because the wage is superior, there is an excess supply of labor, because more people want to work at that hot, those higher wages, and then businesses want to hire, and that leads to a certain level of unemployment. So how do we calculate unemployment? Well, first off, you have to know how the whole country's population is divided in terms of unemployment rate calculations. So if you imagine the total population of Canada and that total population, we need to separate people that are in the working age to people that are not in the working age. So if you have a brother that's 10, year old, 10 years old, well, that person is not available to work. And even though that person is part of the population of Canada, this person should not be counted. So you have this kind of like first uh, cutoff point where part of the population is not counted in this whole um, story. Then from the working age, you'll say that there is people that are either in the labor force or not in the labor force. 
So people such as yourselves that are studying full-time are considered not in the labor force. And we'll see why that, that, that is the case. Uh, people in the army as well are not seen as the labor force. And people are on welfare or not actively seeking a job are not in the labor force as well. Who is in the labor force? Well, it's either people that are unemployed or employed, but the unemployed category has to be actively searching for full-time work or close to full-time work. So if you're employed, that's pretty simple. If you're unemployed, it means that uh, you're looking for work. So you could say, well, I'm a student who's unemployed. Yes. However, if you're in your first year of a three-year program and you get offered a 40-hour work week at the McDonald's, will you take that job? No. Well, if you're offered something else at another institution, will you take the job? And if your answer is no, because those jobs do not reflect what I want to get after earning my diploma here at Bishop's University, well, you have a situation that you're not going to accept any of those jobs till your degree is done where you could get a better job. Therefore, you're not actively searching for a kind of a full-time job. Your goal right now is to pursue your studies and to finish your degree. Therefore, you are not unemployed. If we think of someone who's on welfare, they're not employed either. If someone's just traveling the world, they're not employed either. So any of those categories, you are not in the labor force. So the unemployment rate is the number of people unemployed over the number of people in the labor force. So that denominator is the number of people unemployed over the number of people unemployed plus the number of people employed. So here, any student or anyone else who's not in the labor force does not have an impact in this calculation. You're not counted anywhere. The impact that you have is if you leave your studies to get a full-time job, well, now all of a sudden you're counted. Or if you were working full-time and in your 30s, you decide to go back to university, well, you were in that unemployment calculation and now you're no longer in there, then you have an impact. But in the sense of, are you counted? Are you one of those individuals in that equation? No, as a student, you are not. So we need to calculate the unemployment rate. We simply need the number of people unemployed and the number of people employed, because when you add up the two together, you have the number of people in the labor force. And by putting number of unemployed over labor force, you get the percentage of people who are either actively searching for work or working uh, that is unemployed. So that's the situation that we have. So should we aim an unemployment rate of zero? Well, knowing the idea behind natural rate of unemployment and having people transition between jobs and taking their time a little bit, that shouldn't be our goal. We've seen over the years that there is a certain uh, level of un unemployment that's naturally occurring. So let's say it's around 4% and we currently have, let's say, 7 or 8%. We know that part of that is due to a cycle. It's either due to a pandemic or due to a recession or something else. And we could potentially have a negative cyclical unemployment, which would be in a boom phase where we could only have maybe 2% unemployment. You could think, well, if 4% is natural, how could we only have 2%? Well, if we're such in a booming economy that there's tons of really good paying jobs out there because there's a lot of businesses that demand workers because we're in a very booming economy, 
it's possible that people will transition really rapidly between jobs. Maybe some of those employers will hire you even though you're not trained in whatever that they're asking you to do. Or maybe you're just going to accept something that's not the best match, but is paying really well. So you'll accept it much more rapidly because it's um, much superior in terms of income than what your employment insurance pays you. So that's also possible. But we know historically that we have a certain level of naturally occurring unemployment. And if we think historically that natural level has gone up as more women entered the workforce uh, for various reasons, uh, which could be read in the textbook as well. So um, what's the issues with measuring unemployment is the problem with discouraged workers or people leaving uh, the workforce when the economy is not doing so well. So the typical example I'll ask in an exam that revolves around unemployment, that's a longer kind of question, is based on the idea that you have two politicians. And those two politicians, one's in power right now and wants to get reelected, and the other one is aiming to uh, take his place. And um, you have this situation where one of them might be saying, well, over the term that I was uh, prime minister or president, I lowered the unemployment rate from 5 to 4%. And the other person could say, well, during the same time period, the number of people holding a job has fallen from this amount to this amount. They would sound contradictory to one another because normally when the unemployment rate is falling, it means that more people in percentage terms have a job and when more people are, have a job, it should be going down the unemployment rate. So we have this situation that you would think from the get-go that one of the two are lying. And actually, it's possible that they're both saying the truth. And this has to happen due to a combination of two things. And this, I ask you to practice doing it. And if you look at one of the slides, it kind of goes through this process. In a generalized way, you might not realize that it's answering that question because it's not formulated that way but it's a mixture of two things going on. So if you want to have a situation that, uh, let's say, unemployment is going down, uh, the unemployment rate is going down and the number of jobs are going down, well, you have to have some people that are losing their jobs naturally. So the number of people employed has to go down. But normally when people leave employment, they become unemployed driving up the unemployment rate. What happens is that some of those people that would have become unemployed might be searching for a job. And then maybe some of the people before that were unemployed and maybe some of the new ones decide, well, I'm tired of searching for a job. There's simply nothing going on right now. So I'm going to go back to school or I'm going to go back into a technical degree, get retrained and get a job afterwards. So if enough people get discouraged with a job market and decide to leave the labor force, all of a sudden, the unemployment rate may seem to drop because all of those people were increasing the unemployment rate because they were in the unemployed category. And if they're all leaving, yes, it's removing some of the people from the numerator and denominator. But you think about any number, if you remove the top and bottom by one and the bottom is always higher than the top, it's going to lead to a smaller and smaller number. If you think of fractions, four-fifths, versus three quarters. Well, four fifths is 0.8, three quarters, 0.75, it's smaller. Two thirds, 0.66, it's smaller. One half, 
0.5 is also smaller. So if you're removing from the numerator and the denominator, the total number or the rate has to be going down. So as discouraged people leave, they're being removed from the unemployed part, they're removed from the labor force part, but it's driving down the unemployment rate. So for that to happen, there has to be people losing their jobs, but a bunch of people getting discouraged and leaving the labor force. You'll have to prove this mathematically, so do practice and make sure that you understand how it works. So that's the big idea from this chapter here. Then afterwards, you could see kind of a different kind of demographics, different uh, things going on with the economy over the years. But generally speaking, that big question helps you understand the, the components of unemployment and how it's structured and how it can be manipulated to a certain extent. And then there's always like other measurement issues uh, with people that are working under the table and still getting EI and still considered unemployed. Uh, if we think of the pandemic, a lot of people were taking advantage of the government programs, but they might have been working a little bit on the side and not declaring that extra work. So all of those things can skew the results to one side or the other. So hopefully by this uh, audio lecture and the videos, you'll be able to understand differences between natural and naturally occurring unemployment and employment that's due to cyclical reasons. And we'll see how that works graphically later on when we look at the economy and we'll be talking about recessions and whatnot. Those recessions will be a situation where we're not at potential output, we're at the naturally occurring level of unemployment, where we actually have less people with work. And then after you've understood that, you understand how to calculate the unemployment rate, how it's all kind of taken from the global population, and how uh, there's different uh, conflicting kind of views that could be portrayed, and it could be possible that both politicians are right. Make sure you understand that. Make sure you've practiced calculating it. It often appears, I'm not saying it will, but make sure to keep an eye out and uh, you understand that for the exam. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, little audio lecture. I'll talk to you soon.